0: hey guys welcome to this edition of let's be blunt with martel and i am really excited to introduce you to the guest that we have on today she's a cannabis activist a writer an author a community leader a creative consultant she's managed the careers of such icons such as as augustus pablo rita marley and judy moat Served as the managing director of the Bob Marley Foundation, she earned her Juris Doctorate from the University of Florida and currently serves in the Addis Ababa as liaison to the African Union for the Diaspora African Forum. The Diaspora African Forum is a is the only African diaspora organization in the world which, with diplomatic status, Dr. Desta. Megu, thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt with Montel today, Mama Desta.
1: (laughs) Oh, thank you so much for having me, Montel. It's really an honor and a pleasure to join you in this um, advocacy and this campaign for cannabis.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think one of the things that people don't understand is that, you know, the worldwide reach. I mean, we in America, you know, we have this, you know, selfish kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, only looking at America attitude. And the truth of the matter is, cannabis has been a worldwide product and has interest all over the planet, especially in Africa, correct?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And you know, one of the things that I've been very excited about is working with AfroHelios. I stand on their Board of Advisory Board, and one of the things that fascinated me was the Pan-African approach. Where we are right now, many foreigners are coming into the continent and we don't want to see the same historical fact of colonization, commodification, and the continent suffers. So where cannabis is concerned, it's a major opportunity for economic, medicinal, um, so many advantages for the billions that live on the continent. So Afro-Helios is ensuring this sort of... um, Vertical way from agriculture to research, pharmaceuticals, a host of derivatives are produced right there on the continent and shared with the world.
0: Well, you know, it's very interesting. I make sure, made one hundred percent complete disclosure. I serve on that board with you, and I am so honored to be a part of that board with you. And I'm so honored to make sure that you know. Here we live in a country where you know, again. Americans don't seem to want to see anybody else in the world except for just America. And it's yeah. about time that Americans started to understand that cannabis has had a history in on the African continent yeah. that stems back 400, 500 years, probably even more than that. Yeah. That's
1: all I only know for, but probably what is a thousand years? Exactly. Easy, easily. Because you see, marijuana, cannabis, ganja, the use has been both ritualistic, ceremonial, as well as um, medicinal. And even um, nutritional, you know. Absolutely. Um, well, you know, a,
0: a lot of people don't understand that. You know, I, I often say this a quite a bit when I lecture people, and I'm talking. But you know, uh, you know, the three wise men brought incense, frankincense, and myrrh. And frankincense is a plant that is close to the cannabis plant. So if it was good enough for the baby Jesus, this should be good enough for everybody.
1: Okay. Right?
0: <laughs> and again, it was. It wasn't that you know Americans took it to. Israel, it was the fact that it was there on the continent.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And in Ethiopia, where I'm based, um, actually it's used by the monks in the Ethiopian Orthodox Church called the Bahatawi, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so it is a sacred plant that requires protection. But many times I equate the plant to women, you know? Yeah. We see this beautiful woman, but we don't really value her. The way that we should based on Western societies and Western perception of women, you know, so Mm -hmm. I want us to shift our thinking and look at the value of this incredible plant, because whether you decide that you want to smoke it, wear it, use it for bricks, whatever it may be, you know, there is a place and a space. For cannabis, and most of all, right now, for me, in a time of COVID, when we're looking at curative properties and preventative properties, and even just the stress related properties, you know, we have to do more to promote it and get it really off of the schedule A in the United States because what's happening in the US affects what's happening in policies worldwide. Fortunately, well, unfortunately. Right.
0: Which is really ignorant. And, and when you really t- stop and look at it, because, you know, you, you understand that America, contrary to popular belief, was really built on cannabis. It was America that literally, you know, and, and if we go back to our European you know, forefathers, I mean, every ship, the sailing ship that left Europe and left African coast had hemp seed cannabis. on board. And the hemp seeds were there for multiple reasons. The hemp seeds were there so that when they reached the destination, they could grow a crop and utilize the stems and utilize the the the, the materials to make everything from sails to clothing. They were using the seeds to eat it as porridge because they recognized that the seeds were some of the highest protein laden seeds on the planet. So. I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, it's about time that, you know, this this narcissistic attitude that Americans have that we were here first is a lie. We weren't here first. This was something that existed. We know that cannabis is existing on the planet for we found it probably 5,000 years ago.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. And so this is where the education component is so important. Yes, promoting it is wonderful, but also education and sensitization because we're trying to undo a major campaign that was launched decades ago with the Reef for Madness and everything. So we're still cut in, you know, stuck in that propaganda era.
0: Absolutely, of and you most know? most people don't even understand, you know, why we were even put into that propaganda era to begin with. But that was just because of the fact that slavery had, had, in the United States, and they needed a new re-enslavement and enslavement tool. It was a way that they could go and and ensure that. After farmers had been and, and you know, uh, 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 owners of, you know, big land properties in, in America, when these guys, you know, had their slaves out in the field, they literally, people don't know that a lot of times slave owners literally gave cannabis to the slaves so that they would work harder in the field. And, and then, of course, not- as, of course, as soon as slavery ended, they recognized that this is something that brown and black people were doing a lot of that they knew that they could literally bust and reincarcerate and incarcerate and re-enslave people for. Let's back up a little bit, and tell a little bit about your story. Let's
1: talk a little bit about your background. where did you grow up? Well, born and raised in Jamaica, the, the land of the lamb's bread and the sense of media, <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and then I came to the United States in the 17, my tweens with my family, the migration story of the Jamaican family and essentially, it was coming from an island, Black Island, into a country, it moved into New York, and just hit smack dab with racism. And so, my activism as you know, really young person in my teens by then, is what led me into the road of Rastafari, and then into the world of. Ganja, which was used as, again, sacrament, healing of the nation is what we call it, right? Um, However, I've been working in the music and the arts industry since the late 80s, early 90s with, as you mentioned, Rita Marley, Judy Mowat, Augustus Pablo, Sonia Kosin from Nigeria, and then working on the continent since 1992 in Nigeria, but based in Ethiopia for the last 16 years, actually in Addis Ababa, which is the diplomatic capital of the continent. So all 55 nations have a seat in Addis Ababa, which is what makes it really important for me where afrihelios is concerned. Because right now, just to kind of talk about this, which I'm really excited, Africa has something called the African Continental Free Trade Agreement, which allows for the movement of goods, services and people across 55 nations. OK, so we are now the largest trading block in the world. And as you know, where we got the gold, we got the uranium, we got the palm oil, we got it, and we got the ganja, we've got the cannabis, we got the hemp. So now we have this ability. We have now a model to move all of this through the continent.
0: Stay with us. We'll be right back.
1: the red life i know this is going to become your new favorite podcast and i'm going to show you how to grow a profitable online company step by step every single week
0: but now is it is, am i wrong to believe that there's only four of the 55 nations that have legalized the the production of cannabis
1: you're absolutely right you're absolutely right and this is why the free trade agreement is really important because. One section, usually one um, economic um, pillar, if you will, because Africa is divided into five economic regions. West, which is Ekoas. Then you've got the south, southern, the Sadak. You've got the eastern region, Kamisa. You've got the north and you've got the central. So Ghana in the west and a very powerful, they've legalized. South, you have South Africa. And then in the northern region, you still don't have because countries like Egypt, Morocco, they're still sort of, well, Arab, African. They kind of choose what they want to be based on the politics in the wind, right? right. Um, but the point is that as economic regions and blocks, they're able to trade within their countries, their blocks, and then show the others how this is benefiting. So, you know. It's a good opportunity to test what's going to happen with cannabis. And again, it could be hemp-related products like House of Hemp does in South Africa. It's not limited to just medicinal marijuana for right now, but indeed CBDs and things that are developed or derivatives from the plant itself.
0: So now, does that mean even if you don't live in a country that has legalized that country would still allow the transportation across its borders. Is that
1: depending, right? depending on the type of product. So, again, we're not talking about necessarily moving, you know, tons of um, ganja or cannabis per se, but it could be in the form of a CBD oil. So, you know, so this is where, again, now it gets into the Food and Drug Administration in each particular country because you still need to be able to get that clearance no matter what it is even if it's palm oil or chocolate you still need to establish that trade agreement between the countries the point is that we now have a vehicle and a platform if you will a mechanism to be able to do this trade which before it didn't exist 24 months ago you know
0: I mean, let's talk a little bit more about your background. I mean, you know, from managing musical artists and, and then obtaining your Juris Doctorate, come
1: on now. Yes, and I did that because I've I've got 10 babies. Well, they're not babies anymore. I'm a grandma now, about to celebrate my 60th birthday on Sunday.
0: Wow, congratulations, you're 60th? Six I'm, zero. I'm a little older than you, girlfriend, but go ahead. Really?
1: On. And I've been yeah. so excited, I'm like, I'm grown.
0: <laughs> yeah I know I tell you, but they go by once once you hit that sixty mark, they go by so fast after that. I'm well, oh
1: hey, hey, you know i I going back though I mean I, I'm excited because one of the biggest things I've done as the managing director for the Bob Marley, we produced Bob Marley's sixtieth birthday in Addis Ababa in two thousand and five. And over 250,000 people were gathered in Mescal Square where this happened. And Danny Glover was there, made it into a film, really incredible. So everyone was like, so what are you doing for your 60th? So I've used the arts, though, especially the music industry as a platform for education and for raising awareness on everything from social justice to cannabis um, to equality, diversity, inclusion, all these issues that, um, just to skip forward, sadly, are now beginning to plague the cannabis industry. Because I'm not seeing the diversity. I'm not seeing the inclusion. I'm not seeing the benefits that are coming to us, the black and brown folks who have paid the price. Even when we talk about Rastafari, right? That was the biggest joke when you want to spoof on a Rasta, you know, big spliff, red, gold, and green, whatever. Well, we don't even own any farms or dispensaries on the very island, Jamaica, where this all started. I think there's one, you know, and again, the social justice system, we're seeing more arrests for black and brown people. It's up by like 30% according to ACLU. So Where's the equity justice in this? So that's you know I'm working with artist um, Prince Merit Fesa out of Ethiopia is one of the artists that we've worked with in, a, in a, um, an art fair called Art420, and it's really about using high-end art, fine art, you know, to show the the diversity, the potential, and to open up conversations about cannabis and where it should be.
0: Let's back up a little because I'm sure that during these festivals and things you talk about your personal journey with cannabis Talk about your personal connection to cannabis.
1: Yes. 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 Again, you know as a teenager in New York In the Bronx, we get down Bronx where we were living Mm -hmm. um, That's where I first started burning and it was a big part of leveling my mind off because the stress in the 1970s we moved into an Italian neighborhood and we used to have to run home um and dodge racist guys that were sitting out of their cars with bats trying to knock our heads off as we walked home as kids that was mm-hmm. our reality okay and so you know there were a bunch of us that lived on the block and that's what we would do to kind of ease the pressure you know as mm-hmm. i got older i understood it more as a mother um during breastfeeding as a mother during um the early parts of morning sickness. I mean, horrible morning sickness, just, you know, they say a dab will do, a draw will do, just one little draw to level it out so that I could be that effective mother, you know? And and as it progressed, even law school. I started law school and my twins, because I got five sons, five daughters, and the last two, after I got admitted to law school, found out I was pregnant with the twins. It's like, okay, what are we gonna do here? (laughs) Uh-huh. And again, it was the most stressful time of my academic life, but being able to, to, to burn allowed me to just take away that stress and to focus on what I had to do. So I actually, instead of three years, I did my law degree within two and a half years, and the law school hired me right away after that to become the director for the Center for Race and Race Relations.
0: I mean, so it uh, clearly helped you, it played a role in your achievements.
1: Absolutely, it was a central force, especially because of my connection to the plant as Rastafari. I look at it as sacred as anything in nature, for that matter. But this plant that provided so much, it did. It, it's it's an essential part of me. It's in my DNA, you know. And and even my children, the seeds. You know, I used to give them the seeds um, because I raised them as vegetarian. I didn't inoculate my children, so I had to work really, really hard to ensure that their immune systems were high. Um, so it's so it's an essential part of every single thing that I do and that I am.
0: Can you talk a little bit about the historical connection between Rastafarian culture and the Say cannabis?
1: Absolutely. You know. The Rastafari movement dates back to 1930, that's sort of our counting point, when Emperor Haile Selassie was coronated as the emperor of Ethiopia. And because of the biblical references, look to Ethiopia where a king shall be born, and then in Revelation where the Lion of Judah, you know, um, shall shall replace the slain lamb, um, lamb all of this. Um, the Rastafari movement had a pinnacle, which was a commune where Rastafaris would gather. And interestingly enough, influenced by the Indians, the Hindus who were there, right? And they were indentured servants, but they had brought the cannabis sativa over with them. And so the communities, again, indigenous um, displaced community, as well as those discrimination, because this is the height of still, you know, um, post slavery, right? But we got the plantations going on. And so... These communities were influencing each other. And so the cannabis became a big part of the sacrament and remained to this day a major part of the Rastafari movement in terms of the use of cannabis. Again, we call it the healing of the nation.
0: Absolutely. And then it went from Africa to Jamaica or...
1: Well, you know, there's two lines and and I don't think these stories are necessarily, um, I think they're both equal. We talk about the transferring of these seeds from Africans through slavery to Jamaica. So you have that indigenous line, but you also have the line of the Indians because cannabis sativa is a major part of the Hindu and or the Indian culture as well. So you've got both of these lines that are evident and impacting the Rastafari movement in its growth and development over the last um, nine decades.
0: And then, you know, what's very interesting to me about that is the fact that, again, nine decades in the 1930s was 1937 when, you know, uh, uh, Anslinger, you know, uh, forced through the Marijuana Tax Act. And a lot of people don't even understand that this guy was a guy who was a prohibitionist for alcohol, who literally, while he was a prohibitionist for alcohol, spoke about the fact that cannabis was probably a better drug than alcohol because it didn't make people violent. He literally talked about the value of cannabis, but it wasn't until he lost his job that he wanted to figure out some way to, you know, to keep in pace. And then all of a sudden he goes on this tirade about cannabis only because of its racist implications.
1: Absolutely, and again, you know, mercantile interests—the Duponts and plastics yeah, and and course. wood and the Hearst and and all of that—we yeah. know how their mercantile interests feed. Even because let's face it, racism just about color—that doesn't really matter to them. It's about what they're going to make from it. Again, the mercantile interest on mm. everything, right? And here now both the environment is suffering because of these racist policies right as well as people's health we've got people in the united states and other parts of the world who are suffering from opioid addiction because they're dealing with real real issues and we've got a pharmaceutical industry that's pumping things into their bodies that they can't rid themselves of so we're not only harming the environment right by the the, the plastics and some of the things that came out of that era, right? DuPont era, Horst era. People, at the end of the day, people. And for me, that's one of my biggest concerns and why, you know, the Rastafari faith, it puts humanity or humanity first. This is the center. This is why our ethos are built around nature. And when we look at the plant, this plant, cannabis, it can be grown in a way it doesn't degrade the soil, you don't have to do what you have to uh, do. As a
0: matter of fact, it leaches impurities out of the Thank soil. You. We know that for a fact.
1: Exactly. And
0: now, and now we know that, you know, we're looking at the plant itself. It has probably well over 3,000, you know, purposes and uses. I mean, we just recently, there's recent data written on the fact that, you know, the cellulose material and the, the bark, when it's processed and baked down enough, It turns into a substance that is more uh, has the ability to store electricity better than even graphene. So, this 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 could end up being our future of batteries, and people don't even want to think about it.
1: Absolutely, and and you know, about thirty years ago when I did my bachelor's degree, my senior paper, my thesis was about the properties of cannabis. And can you imagine? And my professor didn't want me to put i was like what do you mean i can't do this i certainly can and i shall and i did you know right. and this is what is needed is research we have to open minds to the possibility of research and development because the planet is relying on this now we need this for the future
0: well i, mean, I was saying to the mama Dusta, you probably know this that there is more research peer-reviewed study documents that have been printed on cannabis than there are on alcohol right now. So this has not been a plant that has gone unresearched. As a matter of fact, we know for a fact that the US government funded research in Israel for close to 30 years. We've had a program going on at the University of Mississippi for the last 50 years where we've been funding research there and around the world. So it's not like the data is not there. It's
1: just that we have ignorantly turned our backs on the data that's the problem absolutely and this is why what you're doing is so important montel i cannot emphasize it enough we need these platforms because it's also the stigma you know many times when i go in i could be in a meeting with ministers or heads of state and it and the first thing that they want to ask me about especially when they hear the managing director of the bob marley foundation or bob's name oh you smoke ganja so now i have to sort of get that out there because. That's not what we're talking about here. Now
0: you gotta say slow down for a second here. Calm down. Yeah. Number one, I'm not doing anything that the baby Jesus didn't do. A number two, I'm also talking about something that literally was put on this planet. I mean, I believe very, very, very strongly in nature. Uh Nature, and if you believe in science and you believe in who we claim to be the, you know, the one of the greatest, greatest minds of the last century a guy by the name of Albert Einstein, for every action is an equal and opposite reaction. Okay. Cannabis is the opposite reaction to so many of the ills of this planet.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. And just the space that that it puts us in when you smoke or when you imbibe it, you know, this is what we, re, we need right now more than ever is to be in that relaxation mode. The world is dealing with so much stress.
0: Absolutely. So
1: much stress right now. You know, that as according to Rita Marley's song, one draw, just Mm -hmm. one draw. Right. And if that's something that's going to help the world come together and and just be a better place and a safer place and a healthier world.
0: As uh, as companies like Afro Helios continue to develop our products, I've been working and talking with the CEO, and I'm so happy to be a part of this initiative because, you know, I think there's so much I can bring to the table to help. This country, which is really, you know, the mother of the planet, can extol so much knowledge on the rest of the planet just by emphasizing, yes, that's that one draw of the sativa. Yes, but we don't necessarily if you're a person who is, you know, reticent to feel any form of euphoria you don't have to
1: exactly
0: all of the other cannabinoids will do the exact same thing to you absolutely without the euphoria but
1: they still relax they relieve uh, inflammation. they relieve the pressure inside your body right absolutely and 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 that's the other thing the diversity of the plant the diversity allows something for everyone you don't have to live in pain and you don't have to live with addiction
0: correct i mean well we know that again. One of the things that has bugged me in the last couple of years, I, you know, I'm, I, a lot of people don't know this, but I'm, I'm, I'm really the catalyst that convinced Dr. Sanjay Gupta to do his first special about cannabis, which literally all of a sudden woke the world up wow. with DVD, because I called him out on a Pierce Morgan show here in the United States. For not having the knowledge to be able to say the things he was saying, and back then he was saying that cannabis doesn't do anything. And I literally had a battle with him on the show and said, "Excuse me, sir, you need to do your research and understand. Number one, right. if it didn't do anything. Why did the U.S. government waste the time to patent it?
1: Exactly. Right? Exactly.
0: If it didn't do anything. Why did the U.S. government waste the time to study it for thirty years and spend you know hundreds of millions of dollars of taxpayers' dollars because they were looking forward to the future, trying to figure out how they could grab their little piece of this?"
1: Absolutely.
0: So he went out and did his special, but then his special came back touting the benefits of just one of the 250 plus cannabinoids that are in this plant. He starts talking about the difference between THC and CBD. That's a good thing. I'm glad you're having this conversation. But we should be having conversations about CBN, CBG, THCA, THCD, THCD. There's CBC. There are so many cannabinoids that are of value from an anti inflammatory standpoint. And then let's get into the terpenes. The terpenes by themselves, something that we know that all plants on the planet have. And some of those terpenes are the same terpenes that we see in the cannabis plant. They have the same properties, anti-inflammatory, anti-nausea. And these are things that the that, that planet, like you said, we need.
1: Yes, absolutely. And, you know, as, as we're talking about climate change and water and all of this, again, this plant, this precious plant has so much to offer. And this teaches you, this teaches us a lesson, though, that, you know, the ignorance, ignorance is infectious, in the stand, and the only way to fight it back is with education.
0: And that's one of the things I'm excited about working with you and being a part of the board with you is the fact that I think that between the two of us, we can help to convince, you know, our, you know, uh, uh, the CEO and everyone else in the company that as we move forward to develop out the products that we plan on putting in the marketplace as we move forward to develop out the products that we want to have. You know exported around the world we need to export as much education as we possibly yes. can at the same time
1: exactly exactly sensitization you know which really means that serious curricula have to be put in place propaganda got to be put in place really right. you understand right. i mean again we know we have peter Tosh that sang decades ago what did he say legalize it and i will advertise it right you know, and and and, and, and we, we have a duty. We have a responsibility, you know, and, and I am more than willing and ready to be able to do this with you, Montel, and with the Afro Helios team because it's been too long. And when we look at it, both from the healing side, the medicinal, as we said, the nutritional side, but the social justice side, because my heart still breaks that black and brown people are incarcerated and still arrested, mothers ripped away from their children because of this plant that's saving lives, people who have served in the army that have come home and are dealing with PTSD. I mean, we've got to change it.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I I even thought, and, and I've talked a little bit, you know, about the fact that, you know, again, even when we look at it from a hemp standpoint, let's just go to the hemp plant for a second and take those seeds. And we recognize that hemp seed oil, again, has so many nutritional and medicinal properties. Yes. And right now, while you know the African continent is suffering from you know, malnourishment and malnutrition, we could be taking acres and acres and acres of property growing heavy seed laden plants so that we can take those seeds, crush them up, and use them in a I don't I don't care if you call it an energy bar or just yeah. a food bar. But that's protein exactly. right there that we've been giving to
1: people and we're we'll be feeding the world right now. Absolutely. And and you know what I see it. It's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's on the horizon and it's going to take a lot of work. But guess what? We're here and we're not going to give this up. It's been a long haul already. I mean, I'm now seeing my mom who's recovering from a from a stroke and my other auntie, both in their late 80s, beginning to use various ointments and things to relieve pain and so forth. So, I mean, it's happening. It's happening.
0: Absolutely. You, know. you cannot deny the neuroprotective properties of the cannabis plant. Yeah. You cannot yeah. deny that. Um, And science is not denying anymore. When you were just talking about it earlier, you know, we're looking at this pandemic that we're in right now. And there's been research out there that has validated the fact that even the flavonoids that are in the cannabis plant seem to have an incredible anti-inflammatory capability in the lungs. And they've been seeing the fact that it's doing benefit for those people who are some of these long haul COVID sufferers, not necessarily in a a smoke form, but in an edible form. They're still getting the benefit of those cannabinoids, which I think, you know, again, you know, we just got to get out of our own way in a way.
1: That's it. We really do. And I think where the continent is concerned, again, we're talking 55 countries, 55. And if we are able to develop it, able to grow it, the way because I, I'm concerned you know I just want to say with what I'm really concerned about what's being grown and sold here in the United States. I've been here for a couple of months and first of all it's priced out of the market. I mean yeah. who can afford yeah I remember back in the day you could build a split you could you, know, <laughs> right. you you just really can't afford it so that's something that concerns me. And, on and, the it's, and it's so
0: unnecessary to be the prices that we have here in the United States. I don't mean to cut yeah. you off, but you know, I mean, look, Afrahelios has under contract close to a million acres. Exactly. And if there's a million acres that we started growing on all those million of acres that are contracted, that's enough ganja for the entire world and then some.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And so I think. The kind of support that we want to give and guidance to Afrohelios will allow us to turn the tables in a major way on so many levels. And when you think of the women and youth who will benefit from this in terms of even small scale farmers. And, you know, I've got a good friend of mine. She started the first commodity exchange in Africa and transformed the coffee industry in Ethiopia. Dr. Eleni geber And I told her, I said, sis, this is coming up. We're going to need that commodity exchange on the continent where cannabis is concerned. It's coming up because we have to have a way to not just grow, develop, but a way to market, a way to ensure that it goes on our own. Again, commodity exchange. How are we going to distribute it? How are we going to ensure quality control? All of these things. And again, Afro Helios, is really going to set the standard for this. So I'm, 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 I'm so excited.
0: Well, Mama Desta, I tell you, I don't want to run out of time. There's so much I want to talk to you about. We could be kicking it and chopping it up on cannabis for the entire hour, which we'd like to do here at Let's Be Blunt, but also want to make sure I get in some of the other concepts that you believe in and you really kind of promote. Tell me a little bit about this idea of the mirror therapy.
1: Ah, yes. You know, it, it really is about self-reflection and facing ourselves. In so many, so many times, we are told by others who we are and how to work ourselves out. But I started this actually with my son, who was just—he would just trip. Brilliant, brilliant child. And I used to make him just stand in front of the mirror when he would start to trip. You know. <laughs> you know. Let
0: me tell you something. You and I have so much more in common than you think. I have a similar principle. Mine's called. I alone own the definition of who I am. Wow. That's how I promoted it. I've actually written about it in a couple of my books. And what? where did that concept come from? I spent, you know, 22 years in the military. I spent a lot of time traveling. I was on on, on the ocean. You know, I, I was in the Navy and spent well over 350 days deployed on ships out in the ocean. And then I also spent well over 300 days under the water on submarines. And... You know, sometimes, well, you know, after you work a 16, 17-hour day, you go get ready to get in your rack to go to sleep and catch some sleep to get up to work another 16, 17-hour day. I, you know, couldn't go to sleep immediately. And so I used that time on board the ship for self-reflection. Yeah. And my self-reflection was I literally believe that, number one, I believe in all the sayings like, you know, how am I going to know where I'm going if I have, if I don't remember where I've been? And so often we go through life and we go through three or four years and we don't even stop for a second or reflect back, reflect back on what we accomplished yeah. or what we have done. So I used to use this little exercise myself where I literally would pick, lay down in my bed, you know, close a little curtain beside it. And while I was laying there, I would think to myself, OK, let me just pick a time in my life. How about what's the earliest memory I have? And I can remember things back to when I was three years old. Wow! And then I would sit there and I think about some of those things that took place and transpired. I remember when I was, I had to be three or four years old where I used to literally play inside of a broken television set that my parents had in their <laughs> Are living room. It's very serious. My, my father had one of those, you know, back in the day, we're talking about back in the early sixties now We had, you know, uh, this is like 61, 58, 59. We had these TVs that looked like big dressers, right? You know, the TV was huge. Well, you know, the TV we had, um, it probably only worked for about a week and then it broke. My father tried to fix it. He took the tube out of it, threw that away. So all we had was this big box that was kind of like a table that had, you know, this big glass screen on it. Well, I used to climb inside of that box. And look out and try to look through that screen and wow. see people in the living room plan. Now, think about that. 30 years later, I happen to be inside that box, you know, telling stories of people all around the world. But I mean, I used to really stop and reflect about what did I feel like then. I would also take the time to literally think about how I treated other people. Yes. Sometimes I think about what I did wrong. Yes. And how dare I do that to somebody? Yes. And though I didn't have time to say thank you. I couldn't find that person from 10 years earlier. I could say thank you to spirit and say, you know, please, exactly. no, put,
1: put it out there, put it out there. So,
0: you know, I, I, I focused in on that because I, that's I, the only way you're going to know what you are and who you are and really truly know yourself and know how you're going to deal with things that come your way is if you reflect on how you've done it before and then improve upon what you did wrong.
1: Yeah. You have to see yourself.
0: Absolutely. And if Simply you can't see you, yourself. Mm-hmm. Correct. If you can't see yourself, anybody else looking at you is seeing the same facade that you're trying to put out there exactly. rather than that true you.
1: Exactly. And you know the thing is that I've I've used this in a couple of sessions, branding sessions and other things where everybody had to have the mirror. And it's the most difficult thing to hold a mirror. You know, you look in a mirror, even for a minute to get dressed, in, but just to look in a mirror for the purpose of looking in a mirror to look at yourself for the sake of self-reflection, it is not easy. As a matter of fact, it's uncomfortable.
0: Let me tell me tell you something. Yeah, I, I, you and I again, we have so much in common because I speak all over the country, all over the world, and I have talked to people many times about the fact that you know I have this this one you know, a little moniker or saying for myself, and that is before I go to bed or before I go to sleep, I like to say to myself, what did I do today that's worth talking about tomorrow? And back before, I used to literally write things down on a little piece of paper. And then when I got up first thing in the morning, when I got up and I walk into the bathroom, of course, you know, you got to go to the bathroom, walk to the bathroom, I would stand there in front of the mirror and look at that piece of paper of what I did yesterday was worth talking about today. And wow. say to myself, you know what? At least I get to start my day off with an accomplishment rather than look at the day with, oh, woe is me.
1: I'm going to borrow that.
0: Please, <laughs> please do. please Don't do hesitate. Take it and run with yeah,
1: it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But this is so important because this comes back to responsibility right. and accountability. You know, self-responsibility, self-accountability. Right. Um, and. and it's not easy. It's really not easy because the most natural thing, well, you know, we want to blame everybody else, want to look at everybody else, and we always have the biggest time analyzing everyone else, but it's so uncomfortable.
0: Absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's that old saying about, you know, when you point a finger at somebody else, you got four of them pointing fingers back, and back and back at you. It. So and you may it. as well start with the ones pointing them at you and figure out why did I have the audacity to say, you know I mean? I... I I happen to, to to have a wife who is 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 really focused in on her spirituality, and she constantly reminds me, even when I don't say anything negative, for negative sake. I may just say, be looking at a television, and I go, geez, I, why why did that person get yeah. that done to their face?" And yeah. she'll say, "Stop! Don't say that." You don't need to put out anything I don't. I'm not judging the person. I wasn't trying to be mean. I was just trying to figure out why the devil did you do that? Well, okay. Well, it's none of my business. You know what I mean? Why don't I figure out why the devil did I do this? You know what I mean? But the principle
1: behind that is also word sound is power, right? We think it, we say it, we manifest it. Correct. You know, so so it is a process, but this is the thing. I, I don't believe that say, oh, we're not perfect. I believe we are perfect, but we're not living up to our perfection. Correct. So this is what the journey is. And this mm. is what the words sound again, and how we have to be so careful and cautious. And this is why the mirror is important. This is why we have to look at ourselves and sometimes even face ourselves because it's easy to kind of dodge and dive and we can make excuses of, well, you know, this happened because this and because that, and right. you know, but in reality, let's just take stock. Let's just take stock. And i tell you, one of the biggest challenges I've had in my life is reconciling as a Rastafari woman with my opinion on cannabis and the, the spheres in which I work, particularly in the African diaspora sphere, right? Where one of my major jobs is to convince every African country about recognizing and reintegrating Africans in the diaspora right. on the continent. And you can't even begin to talk about cannabis at this stage, because they're not even trying to much less recognize those of us. And now you want to bring this to the table. But I had to make a decision that, look, I'm not ashamed of this and I'm not closeting. And, and I am proud of this plant and all its attributes, not just for me personally and my personal testimony and relationship, but what it can do for the world economically, spiritually, in so many ways.
0: And let's recognize the fact that, you know, mankind has been here thinking the same way that we think now for at least a minimum of 10 to 20,000 years. For 20,000 years, this plant was a part of mankind. It was only in the last 90 years that a group of individuals for racist, selfish reasons decided to destroy this plant for the world.
1: Absolutely. That's
0: that's ninety years out of ten thousand. If you just credit say that 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 what we consider modern man is ten thousand years old. Yeah. Only yeah. ninety years of that has there been some problem with something that everyone on the planet enjoyed, used, and and and
1: slept under, slept on, ate. Exactly. But but, but this is why morality is so important. You see, laws change, slavery was legal once right we were we were enslaved our mm. line right was interrupted when we were put on a ship not a cruise ship and dumped off somewhere and then put into bondage it was legal so right. this is why again with cannabis and what we're doing we have to always put morality first what is best for humanity or humanity, as we say as rastafari right and 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 this is one of the challenges that i think afro helios is going to face on the continent because for the most part we're still following the playbook coming out of the united states and secondly you know you got imf wto and all these other folks that want to say well you can't this again if it's you know so this is also the beauty of the free african trade agreement that will allow 55 countries to be able to trade, and then let's see what they say after we're you know, profiting, benefiting, and enriching the continent from the right. benefits of cannabis.
0: Right, and I think you know this whole uh, idea of Afrohelius when it comes to hemp cannabis is gonna also change the way the entire continent thinks about all of its other natural resources that it has on that continent that the rest of the world has done nothing but exploit
1: completely you know ethiopia. exactly ethiopia is right now in the process of build, building the largest dam on the continent okay right now ethiopia is the second largest country next to nigeria it's 112 million people and only 35% of the population, approximately, has access to electricity. Now, with this hydro dam, it's going to transform the agricultural industry. The, I mean, the the electrical. Our fastest runner, Haile Selassie, um, Haile Gebre Selassie, is now building a plant for electrical cars. We're getting ready. And hemp and marijuana, cannabis, ganja has to be a part of it. And we're not going to stop until it is.
0: And then and as electric highways and electric cars are going to be run off of hemp, hemp feet. Hemp like feet. Correct. Absolutely. Exactly. Okay. Tell me a little bit more about your your idea that you say you don't see yourself as a feminist, but you see yourself as an alpha female. What is that? Yeah. that?
1: Well, you know, feminism is really a new and contemporary um, school of thought that has come from European women who were chattel and and, and, and in bondage by their husbands um, and their counterparts for so long the history of africa is quite different you know we had queens that ruled and so we were accustomed to being in a position of equality you know parity with our men until colonization and these other tropes started coming in right of how a woman is seen so we have to get back to where we were in the beginning Our men have to recognize. So, you know, our thing is not just equal pay and so forth, but it's recognizing us as the counterpart of our brothers, of our husbands, of our sons. And while we can certainly come together and and work with our sisters of European descent, of of, of the Western hemisphere that are trying to achieve something that our ancestors achieved, you know, millennia ago. We still have to make sure that we don't lose sight of who we were and our history of being queens and pharaohs and, and leaders and contributors to the continent and the development of the continent.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I got to tell you, Dr. Megu, I'm out of time, but I swear to you, I want you back. Please, you've got to come back to Let's Be Blunt. We got to chop it up some more, especially when it comes to cannabis. But we have to talk about a lot more things. Like, like, what do you think about the fact that uh, here, you're here in the United States right now? I don't know if you know this, but I think uh representation in the cannabis industry in the United States for females is probably I think less than like seven percent.
1: Exactly, exactly. And that's one of the things that I'm very passionate about. And again, especially where women of color are concerned, you know. Oh, that's
0: less than than probably what exactly,
1: exactly. So access, opportunity, inclusion, equity, these are all more than words these have to be serious campaign issues that are a part of what we're doing and we're making sure too that representatives you know in in, in government as well as even in the private sector all these billionaires running around out here now making all this money off of cannabis they need to have funds for part of their corporate social responsibility that are helping to train empower and give opportunities two women that they can get started in this industry
0: absolutely well look i am so excited about the fact that we're both sitting as executive advisory board members for Helios. Uh, Global, and you know, we are going to actually do some things I think that change this world. So, Dr. Negu, I thank you for being here. Please know you have a place on Let's Be Blunt whenever you want. I'd love to have you back. Let's schedule another conversation. And um, even if you even when you go back to Africa, we can do it. We've done it, I've done it with the the CEO of Afrihelius from Africa. As I know, I can do it with you. We can figure out and I'll get up and do it whenever you want. Okay.
1: Absolutely, and you are most welcome. You've got a place in Ethiopia, and even in Ghana, and of course, you know Lesotho with the Afro Helios team. So you're welcome, my brother. Thank you so very much.
0: Absolutely. And then you know, whenever you need, if you need me on a call or something to help do a little education with whoever you're talking to, I'm there. Okay?
1: Oh, that is so wonderful to know. I'm gonna call on you for that.
0: Please do. Please do. I think I I think I, I think I'm pretty well steeped in the history so. (laughs) 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 Thank you. We should have that in comments. Thank you so much for being a part of Let's Be Blunt and make sure you hit that subscribe button and continue to tune in to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.